Welcome back to the Scripture Hikes, Mark Dunnigan. Here I am. It I'm with you. <laughs> it has been maybe three months since we recorded. We recorded, I think, last time, maybe late September. Now it's mid-January. Yeah, almost mid. Not quite. Don't rush it. Okay, okay. A lot has happened. Those recordings were done in Oregon on the coast, and these will be done in Wesley Chapel, Florida. In between those two points, Mark, we did some hiking. Yes, uh, I think the first one will be just coming down on the Oregon coast, the Sisters Rocks, where there's a sea cave. Yeah, and, that and we didn't know that. And that would be a little bit north of Brookings. Right, so we start hiking down this trail, and I'm like, what is that? And you could see the ocean through the sea cave. It was almost like an arch, mm-hmm. right? And someone had uh, actually put something Jesus there in the sand, right? Well, they had taken a bunch of rocks and were doing all kinds of art using just all of the river rocks and such. And ironically, somebody had made a heart and it was like, it was almost our initials. It was two initials. I think it was like C, D, and M, P. Yes. And so we just, we moved the rocks a little bit and it's like, wow, thanks for making the custom made art for us to take a picture of with our feet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was amazing. And we put the rocks back, right? Because we don't want to mess up their art. Yeah, we let uh, we gave it back to them. Um, <laughs> we just borrowed it. We w- walked a little bit through the redwoods had been, as we had done before, and then we headed down further south. Right. Was Bandalia the next? I think it was more of when we came through California, Joshua Tree. Oh, Joshua Tree. That yes. was a pleasant surprise. And Gorgeous. then um, as we went through Arizona, eventually we came up to Santa Fe, and hit Bandelier, the Indian cave ruins. Yes, so all the carvings that are so, so ancient, and to walk through there and think about the people that went on before us. And I think one of my most prized memories is one of them had carved like a cross. So they had had a conversation with somebody about Jesus Christ, and I took a picture of my hand on that. But... That was amazing. Now, Bandelier is three different locations, though. That was kind of confusing to me. Like, it's three different locations of Indian ruins. Near Los Alamos, there were grooves dug into the rock Mm, mm -hmm. that would almost come up to your waist, and you walk through those. And they were like that because so many people had walked those trails that at one time they were kind of even with the ground, but that's how long people had been walking those trails so you're right in the dna with the ancient ones so amazing and then other ruins we climbed upstairs and went into these caves Mm -hmm. right yeah or ladders ladders ladders. is what i should have said yeah amazing so bandolier very near los alamos Mm -hmm. so any other hikes that we did before we landed here in florida Oh, remember the one in Palo Dura. Uh, thank you. That was the one. I knew there was something in Texas when we left. South of Amarillo is actually the largest canyon in America outside the Grand Canyon. Right. Palo Dura Canyon. I had never heard of it before. I think most people have never heard of it. And you can actually, unlike the Grand Canyon, you can drive your car down into the canyon. Yes. Then they have like a 16-mile drive kind mm-hmm. of loop. And there was an area there, kind of as we hit the midsection of the loop, mm-hmm, that we saw a cave out in the distance. Yeah. And so we stopped and Stop went out. Stop the car! We hiked up into this cave. Amazing, because it was off the beaten trail, right, Mark? 
Yeah, there was. You just kind of made your own trail to get there. Uh huh. So we're up there. We're taking pictures. We feel like we've got the place all to ourselves. And as you were approaching that cave, I said, "Let's throw some rocks in there. Make sure nothing's living in there." It was a big cave, and so we. Uh, got a little bit closer and a little bit closer and it was just so amazing because you feel like how many people have looked here like I don't know how many people would walk that or sought shelter here or lived here or got out of the cold here years yeah. ago centuries ago a lot of red rock gorgeous so then we're, we're just about 20 percent back to the van and what happens well we heard the sounds of wild animals and so it's <laughs> like I I think you Yipping. told me, pick up rocks, pick up rocks. Now pick up rocks. <laughs> Wait have for them me. Ready. Be armed. Wait for me and let's in get case. back to the van in one piece. <laughs> in case I, in case they're hungry and I look like the best thing for dinner. Mm. So, yes. yeah, we survived. We made it back to the van. But yeah, it was like yipping dog sounds to each other, like yeah, howling and like creepiness. Coyotes, but I'm not sure if it was something else. I don't know. We don't know our animal sounds. Mm-hmm. All right, much adventure, and so now we're ready to jump back into these scripture hikes. And you've been preaching, Mark, and a lot of the churches that we've been visiting, you've got this outstanding lesson that you do on the book of Jude. So I asked Mark, hey, what if we started with that? Let's go verse by verse and just walk through the book of Jude in two different podcasts. Sounds good. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. And so the most obvious choice for the writer would be there is a brother of Jesus mentioned in Mark 6.3 called Jude. And the James here, I mean, James, the brother of Jesus, was very well known mm-hmm. in, in, in the early church. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Jesus' mother is not a perpetual virgin. Then. Right. In fact, that, that we have the names of the other siblings mm-hmm. of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So his birth was miraculous. And it talks about that Mary, uh, Joseph kept Mary a virgin until he's born. And then they had other kids. Mm-hmm. together and those kids are mentioned including their sisters that are mentioned as well yeah right. mark 6 3 has some of the brothers names and i believe it's i think matthew 13 uh, mentions his sisters all right that's very helpful all right so then it says to those who are called that is called by the gospel of course god calls everyone through the gospel mm-hmm. the gospel is to go out to every creature mm-hmm. but not everyone accepts the call so mm-hmm. when you hear the gospel and you respond to it then you're one of the called. Gotcha. It reminds me so much of Proverbs 120, where wisdom calls out into the streets. Well, yeah, it's it's like at the at the byways and yeah. the major intersections is that it's not a secret call. It's a very public call. Very much so. Not unlike when John the baptizer was out in, in the wilderness and he was called a voice crying out in the wilderness in John 123. And people had a choice whether to reject or accept Mm -hmm. that voice. So, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. And the end of the book, um, he's going to talk about some obligations we have to make sure that we remain kept for Jesus Christ. So, we have this kind of an intro. Then we have a warning about apostasy, three and four. Then we have some examples, historical examples of apostasy in the past, five to seven. Then he starts talking about the apostates in verse 8, like their actions, their character, or lack of it, the judgment that's going to come upon them, and their pride. And Mm. then the book is going to end with like the duty of believers to, number one, the scriptures, Mm -hmm. then to themselves, which is interesting, like Mm. keep yourselves in the love of God, then to others, Mm. 
mm. and then the God. And so that would be one way that you could outline okay. this short and really meaty little book. Right. And so really those first few words kind of contain, I would say, the goal of the book. And that is so that these people could find mercy, live in mercy, peace, and love, that all those would be multiplied to them. And so this book kind of shows them how to have mercy, peace, and love multiplied in their lives. Yeah, that that's just not something that just vaguely shows up willy-nilly. You put yourself in a position so you receive mercy, peace, and love, and where it's also multiplied. All right, so then it starts out, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith. Once for all handed down to the saints. Mm -hmm. So the salvation's common in the sense that it's the same salvation for everyone. Jesus died for everyone. So it's the same quality. And it's the same steps, you know, that everyone is told to believe and be baptized to be saved. So, and it's for everyone, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile or you're a man or a woman, a slave or a free, it's like one path. Mm. It, it's one common salvation. Well, and it's a salvation that you are to contend earnestly for the faith. I mean, Christianity, Mark, is not passive. There are times when for the well-being of the souls around us that we must contend earnestly for the faith. And the word contend would tell us that the defense of the faith can be costly, mm-hmm. it can be agonizing, mm-hmm. uh, could be very unfashionable. Mm-hmm. And verse 4 is going to tell us, hey, there's opponents out there. There are people that are trying to subvert and pervert the teaching. Mm-hmm. So it's like an ongoing wrestling match mm-hmm. throughout your life, the life of each congregation. Mm-hmm. And it's a struggle that we cannot opt out of mm-hmm. and we cannot grow weary. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a, unpopular at times. It's always been that way, right? Always. It's not like, oh, we're the first generation that gets to coast on all of the hard efforts that people have used to keep the truth out there among the people that need to hear it. And so this this phrase, though, once for all time handed down to the saints, Mark, this seems to imply that there are no real latter-day revelations, conflicting, like different conflicting messages. The faith here delivered was delivered once, Mm -hmm. and it's of such validity that it never needs to be delivered again. Mm -hmm. Handed down would mean that it's been handed down from God. It's the authorized teaching. Mm. Uh, It's what Christians are to believe and practice, the faith. Acts chapter 6, verse 7, many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And mm-hmm. so this is the body of teaching. This is a standard body of teaching that's not going to change regardless of time and culture. Mm-hmm. So you would be right in saying that it's never going to be updated mm-hmm. and it's never going to be superseded. Mm-hmm. And so things like the Book of Mormon would okay. not be genuine because that claims to be another gospel. Right. This is the faith once for all delivered, and it was once for all delivered in the first century. Mm-hmm. So any kind of latter-day revelation stance, because there's a lot throughout history, um, especially in the last few hundred years, Seventh-day Adventism, even the holiness movement, a lot of these are people saying, no, that's not once for all time. We have another message in addition to what we've been given. Right, and it's given to the saints, and the saints are not the illustrious dead, the, 
saints are living, breathing mm-hmm. Christians. It's mm-hmm. been given to God's people, and we've been entrusted with it. And it is the job of each local congregation to be a pillar and ground of the truth to defend this faith, to teach this faith, or as Timothy was told, to teach it in season and out of season. Second Timothy chapter four, verse two. So God has given us the gospel. He's not going to give us another one. And we must guard the one we have because it is the only accurate and authoritative teaching that there is. So what does this next part mean when it says, for certain people have crept in unnoticed those who were long beforehand marked out? Well, it would be that, number one, we got people that have slipped in, kind of the idea of something sinister, secretive. They've kind of wormed their way in. The idea that they were long before marked out for this condemnation does not mean that they've been condemned since day one, that they were just born to be lost. That would be an unjust thing right. that not even a human would do, much less a God whose character is flawless. But what it does mean is that the warning against false prophets and false teachers is an old warning, going all the way back to Deuteronomy 13. And so you have a choice. You can become a false teacher. You have that choice. But if you do that, you need to understand that what you have chosen, what you have chosen is condemnation. Mm-hmm. Yes. It says, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into indecent behavior and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, ungodly really takes the gloves off because they're not nice people. They may appear to be nice people. They may say very religious things. They may use very spiritual language. Mm -hmm. But Jude says what they do is they take God's grace and they turn God's grace into a license to sin, mm-hmm. an excuse. Well, God's going to forgive me. You know, it, a kind of very casual mm-hmm. attitude towards God's mm-hmm. forgiveness. Oh, well, nobody's perfect, or everyone mm-hmm. has to have a vice, you know, or something like that. And it's interesting, Titus 2 says that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. But then it says, instructing us to deny ungodliness. Mm-hmm. So grace never encourages anyone to sin and grace never says sin's not a big deal Mm -hmm. or you're only human or don't worry about it Mm -hmm. you know so these are people that they try to sell a gospel that says your personal life really doesn't have anything to do with what you believe Mm -hmm. and so you can be a christian and still like fornicate or commit adultery Mm -hmm. or be a homosexual Mm -hmm. or be a drunkard type of thing. You you can be a Christian and you can still watch immoral stuff. That's what these false teachers were trying to sell. Still do, honey. They still do. I still hear this. And I often even hear sometimes when Christians, upon the heels of reading a verse about grace, clarify, yes, but obedience is still something that must happen, that that you're criticized if you bring that up. But guess who brings that up most often (laughs) together is the Lord himself, because this is so common. And I was told by a friend from a denomination that God has already forgiven the sin that we're planning on committing tomorrow. Like that's the extent that grace can be abused. Yes, that is a complete perversion of Mm -hmm. of what the Bible teaches. Mm -hmm. If 
if you are planning on sinning tomorrow and banking on then saying, okay, God, forgive me, that is an incredibly hard heart. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that shows no repentance, no grace, genuine sorrow. It's more accurate to say that grace is the, opens the opportunity to obey. If there was no grace, you would be struck dead the moment you sin. But grace is God's giving us the time and place to repent and turn and bring forth fruits in keeping with repentance. Right. He now gives like three warning reminders from the Old Testament. He says, now I desire to remind you. So the Bible is filled with calls to remember because mm-hmm. man tends to forget the past. Though you know all things once for all, I think is the idea you've been taught well. The faith has thoroughly instructed you. Okay, but you can forget it. Mm. So he says that God having saved the people, that is the people out of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. So God intervened in Israel's history first to save them, then, here's the point Jude wants to make, those that did not continue in the faith they were given were destroyed. So, mm-hmm. no one saved, always saved yes, in this verse. Definitely. There's nothing new about saved people leaving the faith. Gotcha. If those saved people left it, you can leave it, but if you leave it, you're going to be destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. Your past faithfulness will not cover your present rebellion. So then it says, and angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper dwelling place, these he has kept in eternal restraints under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So it's interesting language are angels that did not keep their proper place. God now keeps under punishment mm-hmm. or in darkness for the judgment. So mm-hmm. first of all, the, the, the punishment that's coming is real. And the people that are going to be punished, including angels that sin, are not annihilated. It's an actual punishment. But it's interesting, angels did not, that did not keep their proper domain, mm-hmm. that is, angels that did not value and appreciate the role that they were given, like they wanted something more than that. The limitations. That they resented the limitation placed upon them. Yeah. It's easy for people to go down that same path either for men to say, I don't like the role God gave me, or women to say, I don't like the role God gave me, or children to do the same, or, or people to say, well, here's the qualifications of elders, but I don't like how that limits mm-hmm. certain people from not being able to get into that mm-hmm. position. We need to take a lesson from angels that did not respect the roles, because they're under punishment right now. Right. So just to kind of spell this out for folks, Mark, what would what does God say the role of a man, the role of a woman, the role of a child is? Well, the role of a man would be to lead his family, to be head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, to sacrifice himself for her and lead that family to heaven. Mm-hmm. And the woman is to be a help meet, to be a very strong and healthy voice there as he makes decisions. Mm-hmm. To back him up, but also to challenge him if he's about ready to do what's wrong. Right. And, of course, to make sure those children are raised properly. And the children are to obey and not have their parents. <laughs> that's, their, yes. that's their role. Yes. And from time to time, once her voice has been 
made and you're still in conflict of something that she is the one who's to step down just as the husband stepped down to his own preferences in order to treat the wife as Christ treated the church then it's the wife's turn to step down and say your call mm-hmm. your call your consequences <laughs> right but your call you know so yeah so that's how it's supposed to function and it works well for in the Dunnigan family I can say that most people I think would say it works well everywhere yeah in the sense that it always works well neighborhoods that have strong men and strong women and that are committed to one another those are neighborhoods that are not Mm crime-ridden the neighborhoods with god's always the man and the woman and the kids yeah and the children's role of honoring father and mother respecting them yeah that's where you want to live yeah yeah All right, so keeping our proper domain. So the other thing, the other aspect I'll throw in here before we leave this is also male leadership within public worship, Mark. Mm -hmm. Yes, that is that. In the New Testament church. Yeah, that the man who addressed the assembly or the individual that addresses the assembly that teaches God's word is to be a man. First Timothy chapter two. Mm -hmm. The elders are to be not only men, but married men who have children that believe. Right, and there's some other qualifications there too. So all of the elders in the scriptures are men. Every evangelist that leads public worship was a man. Mm -hmm. And I'm cool with that. You know why? I'm cool with that because God says that's the best way and every single idea God has always works better than anything else. And you know what else, Mark? They've done studies to say how much do women talk compared to how much men talk (laughs) Mm -hmm. and i can see god's wisdom i just this just hit me in the recent years and maybe i'll take this part out i'm not sure but many women out talk their husbands six days a week and on the first day of the week god says time to keep silent Mm -hmm. he needs to find his voice (laughs) you know it's good for men it is so good for men to find their voice and lead and that's one thing that i think sometimes people forget about roles is that they sometimes forget it could be that god gave me this role to bring out the best in me. yes yes amen to that all right we do have in this area of three and we're gonna have a couple of threes in jude and this is the first one we had the uh ungrateful israelites we had the angels that sin and then we have sodom and gomorrah in verse 7. Okay, it says, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they, in the same way as these angels, indulged in sexual per- perversion and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So Sodom and Gomorrah were real cities, and Jude basically, all these events that Jude deciding were real historical events. Mm-hmm. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. And it looks like what leads to that, Ezekiel says, the sin of Sodom included arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease. Ezekiel 16, 49 is mm-hmm. that this very prosperous plain and valley led to a very indulgent lifestyle. Okay. And they're exhibited as an example to mm-hmm. this day mm-hmm. in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. And mm-hmm. which means that they are presently suffering in torment. 
And someone said, like, okay, we have three examples here. Ungrateful Israelites, angels that sin, son of Gomorrah. What do they all have in common? Okay. And I like what someone said. They're all unnatural acts. Oh, uh, uh-huh. For God to spare you with the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea, and then for you to turn on him, yeah. that's unnatural. Yeah. To, to be an angel in the presence of God and resent the limitations on your power and authority, that's not natural. Uh-huh. And for men to be sexually attracted to other men isn't natural either. They're all right. very unnatural. And they also, I guess, kind of show what can happen when you depart from the faith. Okay. Of how sideways it can go in all sorts of different directions. Mm-hmm. Well, and this shows that sexuality is one divinely assigned proper domain that one may not abandon without eternal consequence. Right. God created two genders, and there's tremendous wisdom behind that. And, I mean, we can see that physically, biologically, they go together. We can see that. That's obvious. For man to twist that and pervert that, and I think there's a real lesson here of the danger of you can really mess up your thinking, and you can also really mess up your sexuality when you don't adhere to God's pattern Mm -hmm. and you can really get yourself into like a dark place to the point that you think that where you are is okay or natural or inborn or whatever is that you can go into sin and start convincing yourself that this is the way that you've always been yes and so right now in our culture everyone's like what is the big deal what's the big deal well here It shows how big a deal this is to God, Mm -hmm. that this is a sin that is worthy, he says, of eternal fire. And Psalms 19.9 says, the judgments of the Lord are pure and righteous altogether. And so we best align our worldview and our morality with the creator of the universe because he gets to decide what's good and evil. Well, you know, it's interesting, too. I think people are very short-sighted when they say, what's the big deal? First of all, it's that human sexuality is so powerful that really the only container that can handle it properly is marriage, the Mm -hmm. marriage relationship Mm -hmm. between a man and a woman. And when that's not honored and we have fornication and then we're getting all all these sexual diseases that arise out of that and we get messed up people mentally that arise out of that, and then we have like adultery and we have easy divorce and we have which means the breakdown of the family and women and children in poverty and abused kids and and all of that. How mess. many clues do you need? Yeah. Yeah. And then we get the whole homosexual, transgender movement. The the big deal is that this when this is not honored, civilization collapses. Yeah, that's all. That that's that's, that's, that's a, yeah. Is that's, that a big deal? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah civilization comes in a, handy. Not including the eternal consequences. Yeah. So then it says in the same way, verse eight, these men also by dreaming and I don't think he just talked about like it's wrong to have dreams. I think the dreaming here is probably something like they are imagining that God is speaking through them, or they're okay. imagining that God is approving of their conduct. The final of the flesh, there's a great lesson there, is that when you depart from the faith, mm-hmm. you're going to end up defiling your body. It's going to yeah. affect you physically. It can disfigure you and scar you. So you can mess up your head. It, then it says they reject authority. So that's arrogance. And like, hey, I don't want God telling me what to do. I know what to do better. I mean, that's a really dangerous place to be. 
and also they were vile angelic majesties, which might be the idea of that they scoff at the idea of there being a spiritual realm out there with like spiritual powers of good and evil, and that somehow they're freed from those sort of primitive ideas. And man, if you mock at the idea of a spiritual reality, both of being a god and a devil, mm-hmm. you're just easy prey for the devil if you don't believe he exists. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it started out yet in the same way, these people also dreaming. And right now people are like, oh, my dream is to be another gender. Or, mm-hmm. you know, Mark, not all dreams are created equal. And so there's sometimes if you're dreaming of things that are not true, that are not true, that you think are going to be what you've always wanted in your life. There's sometimes, Mark, that you don't follow your dreams. You follow your God who will replace your self-destruction with the life beautifying fruit of righteousness. Hebrews 12:11. So, yeah. Well, I think also the danger of following dreams that are disconnected from truth is you end up with a nightmare. Mm-hmm. That's what you get. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't, you could, you're not allowed to determine reality. Yeah. You, you have really no say over what's real, mm-hmm. what's true, and what's false. Reality is going to keep showing up. Oh, yeah. And smacking you around. Yeah. And it looks like it starts early on, too, with this rejection of authority, which to me is just such a good reminder for parents mm-hmm. that you're teaching your children, you when you expect them to respect your authority, you are preparing them for a relationship with God in which they're going to need to accept his authority as well. Right. Be very, very careful about people come along and try to say like, well, question authority, but they never want you to question their authority. Mm -hmm. Someone always wants to be in power. Mm -hmm. And so the people that are out there trying to get rid of the Bible and Jesus as a final authority, guess what? They want to be the final authority. Mm -hmm. So what does this mean? And speak abusively of angelic majesties. What's that about? Well, we talked about that a little bit. Could be like the denial, just the denial of any sort of spiritual realm that they scoff at the entire notion of angels and Mm, spiritual powers and things like that, that they just regard themselves as free from that reality. But it's there. Very naive to only believe in things that are physically in front of you. Yeah, and I think even a lot of non-Christians don't buy that. I think they, Mm -hmm. at a certain level, realize there's more to reality than just matter. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, but Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him an abusive judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Notice they're arguing about the body of Moses, not the soul of Moses. Okay. And we don't really know all what's going on here. Okay. It could be that Satan didn't like the idea that the burial of Moses was in a undisclosed location. You know, like, hey, people didn't know about this. And okay. people come and do this. We know and what happened. <laughs> yeah, we know that, that would, it yes. would just become some idolatrous shrine. Definitely. Um, and I think the point here is, though, you have these arrogant, finite humans mm-hmm. who question Jesus, question God, question Scripture, critics, critics of the church, you name it. Mm-hmm. Michael, the archangel, far more powerful than they are, 
when he was up against Satan, he did not go on his own authority, yeah. but rather he appealed to God's authority. And Michael did not say, hey, I'm Michael the archangel. Hey, you know who you're dealing with here? But rather he was very humble and said, I'm a servant of God, but the one you're going to have to deal with is God. Mm-hmm. He, he did not give the devil a pass. He rather said, the Lord rebuke you. That is the Lord's going to deal with you. Yeah, I think that's a great one, Mark, to have yeah. in your back pocket there. The Lord rebuke you. Because a lot of people tell each other where to go, so to speak, you know. And mm-hmm. Yeah, but the Lord rebuke you. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God, Hebrews 10, 21. So if you, are, if you say to someone, the Lord rebuke you. Mm. And it's true. The Lord is going to deal with you. You have to answer to him. And we don't want that. We don't want that for our worst enemy. Right. Then it says in verse 10, but these men, in contrast to Michael, who's recognizes God's authority, humble, Mm -hmm. even though he's very powerful, but these men revile the things they did not understand. And man, isn't that true? How many people out there are making fun of things that they don't even know what the question is? Yeah. And then it says, and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. That's, that's a really important passage. So many people try to package unbelief or even atheism as intellectual. Mm-hmm. And this Definitely. verse says, no, it's not intellectual. Mm-hmm. But what fuels people who like depart from the faith and deny authority, what fuels those people is pure, raw instinct and passion. Mm-hmm. It, it's not intellectual. It's, I want to do what I want to do. Yeah. But then it says, those very things, what they're following is what's going to consume them. Mm. And it reminds me of that passage over in Second Peter chapter 2 about people that promise other individuals freedom mm-hmm. while they are slaves of corruption. Second mm. Peter chapter 2 verse 19 mm-hmm. or it could be what jesus said everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin john eight thirty four. so the warning is these false teachers that are saying you can live any way you want or you know don't let anyone tell you that that's a sin or whatever and just go out and do whatever you want to do god says those very people are not free they're slaves and what they're involved in is destroying them at this present moment. Mm-hmm. So much better to allow your conscience to be trained in God's wisdom. Mm-hmm. It's a far better guide than following one's heart or one's feelings. Because when you follow your heart and your feelings, Mark, it's mm-hmm. going to be like unreasoning animals. Right. Uh, and you never arrive. Mm-hmm. Nature is something above which we must rise by the strength of a spirit that's willingly yielding to the will of God. That's how you become beyond an animal. And boy, you tell people that they are the descendants of animals, and that's great news for a lot of people because now they can have the same moral standard as any animal. Now, in verse 11, it says, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. We're going to have three examples here. They have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam, another Old Testament character, perished in the rebellion of Korah. There's another Old Testament character. So there's three bad examples in that verse. And anyone who follows them is going down the same path. And of course, Cain murdered his brother. What's interesting here is you look at Cain. Cain's not an atheist when we encounter him. He's offering God a sacrifice, but it's not the sacrifice God wants. 
So Cain is a good example of people that, oh, I believe in God, I'm religious, but I'm going to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. Also, Cain is a good example of that when Abel, when he talks to Abel, and when God gives him a chance to own up and change, mm-hmm. Cain only, what, doubles down, yeah. digs in his heels, and like, well, I'm going to get rid of Abel because Abel continually reminds me of my failure. There's so many examples of that in our culture today. Get rid of the ideal. Right. Destroy the ideal. Uh, Try to run down the church. Try to run down Christians. Anybody who there looks like that they're overcoming or succeeding, let's try to destroy them. Let's bring everyone down to a very low and common denominator. Satan loves when that happens. Mm -hmm. Much, much better to go the way of Abel. Cain's brother, and offer up the pleasing sacrifice of righteousness. So in verse 11, we looked at Cain, and then right after that it said, and for pay, they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam. Balaam's an interesting character in the Old Testament because in Numbers chapters 22 through 24, mm-hmm. he's the one that keeps saying to Balak, well, I can't say anything except what the Lord has told me I can say. Mm, All right? Mm-hmm. Balak keeps wanting Balaam to curse the children of Israel, and it, instead he blesses them like three times. Okay. But in the New Testament, Balaam is this bad guy. And you're going like, well, well what happened mm-hmm. there? We, we got a clue here. It says for pay. Oh. In Revelation 2, the same example is given, and it says that Balaam kept advising Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel Mm. and that he was greedy. And so you go back to Numbers and Balaam leaves after saying, well, I can't curse him. I can only bless him. But then immediately the Moabite Midianite women invite the Israelites into this feast. And then when God says, okay, we need to take revenge upon them for that in chapter 31, Guess who's there among the dead? Mm. Balaam. Mm -hmm. And I think the way you put together is that Balaam really wanted the money that Balak was offering. Like, I'll give you a house of silver. But God wouldn't let him curse them. And so Balaam comes up to Balak and says something like this. Okay, I can't curse them, but I can tell you how to bring them down. Yeah. Get your women over there. Flirt with them. Get involved into some idolatrous festival, and they'll become cursed in God's sight. Uh So it would be the classic example of, is there a loophole around that Uh verse? Can I kind of, you know, get around that verse there? Yes. And for the sheer desire of money. Yeah. I'll tell you what you want to hear for a price. Not worth it. Balaam would be a good example of a believer who opts for some sort of man-made religious group because it's bigger, more business opportunities, more earthly fame and status. Yeah, but it's in the Father's right hand that pleasures are forever. And so, I mean, that is literally the world's worst ripoff, these momentary moments of pleasure or, you Well, know. yeah, Balaam doesn't even get to enjoy his stuff that long because it's pretty soon <laughs> we have yeah. judgment falls yeah. upon them. The final one is in the verse, it says, and rushed or perished in the rebellion of Korah, which is Numbers chapter 16. Mm-hmm. And Korah is a great example of today, Korah in our culture would kind of be viewed as a hero mm-hmm. because in the Old Testament, the priesthood was only given to the Levites and yeah. particularly the sons of Aaron. 
And Korah comes along and says, well, anyone should be able to be a priest. Mm -hmm. We're all priests. This idea mm. of we should all be included in this. Yes. And the earth opens up and swallows Korah mm. and his family yep. on the spot. Yeah. So one of the things about the section is that don't assume Cain Balaam and Korah were like sinister looking people. They may have all been very charismatic individuals and seemed like really nice people, but they were dangerous because each one of them advocated kind of a different type of rebellion mm -hmm. away from God. Mm -hmm. And they all looked religious. In fact, Korah, you might say many people would consider Korah a very progressive yeah. thinker. Yeah. But the thing is that you, if you depart from the faith, as each one of those men did, then you're just going to progressively mm -hmm. get worse. Well, it's interesting, too, this language of they have given themselves up. Like, who was in control here? They had a free will. But the misuses of free will carry a lot of regret, a lot of regret. So this, these are not stories of, oh, look how cruel this God of the Old Testament is, as a lot of people would like to tell us now in this culture. These are stories of people who use their free will to give themselves up to perish in some kind of rebellion. Yes, and it's called the rebellion of Korah. Yep. Mark, isn't it? Everyone thinks that their lure, like your own special lure, like your temptation, like it's special. It's not like everybody else's. Like everybody else's lures are all gross and nasty and horrific. But mine, mine are kind of romantic. And God and understands mine, kind of, mine. Yeah, God understands mine. But it's just like all the other traps that mankind has fallen into throughout time. There is carnage. And there's carnage for us as several as we read about for them. So that's I mean, Mark, that's why we're doing these podcasts. Don't be carnage. Yeah, yeah. That's step right. away from the carnage. Yeah, step away from the rebels because the earth is gonna open up pretty quick here. Mark, should we stop right there then? Does that sound like a good I ending? think at least yeah, because that's where my notes on that section stops. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's where All we right. stop. Well, let's pick up this conversation then next week. And we'll start in verse 12 of the book of Jude.